Here's uh, something that we're all kind of in this season, I know, the beginning of the year, and for some of you, you're already like, man, let's get on to 2021. 2020 has already been, you know, kind of crazy. And for many of us, we're trying to set new habits. We're trying to cultivate new, uh, new rhythms in our life still. And, and, and you know, maybe we're, we're like 19 days into uh, this new pattern that we have. And, and here's what I know for any of us that are in that phase in our life. It's this. This is the pain point, the tension point, is that you don't want the future to be the same as the past. And so it could be areas of your finances, and you're saying, man, I don't want the future of our finances to look the, way, uh, the same way that our past of our finances did. For some of you, it could be, I don't want the future of my health to look the same as the, 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 the health of my past. For me, I turned 40 in September, so you guys have got a little less than nine months to plan my surprise party. And what I've told my wife is, I don't want to take my 30s bod into my 40s. And so I'm cultivating a new rhythm of health. That's kind of my word for 2020 is health. I'm cultivating a new rhythm in my life. So I'm really being diligent about what I eat, and I'm in the gym four times a week, and I'm drinking you know, copious amounts of water every single day. Why? Because I don't want my future health to mirror what my past health looked like. And it's possible that some of you here are today and you're going, you know what, I feel that way about my relationship with Jesus. I don't want the future relationship that I have with Jesus to maybe marry or to to mirror the past. I want something to be different. Maybe you have found yourself, like many of us find ourselves, we go through these rhythms, and it's the first thing I always try to encourage people in, is that you will find yourself in a rhythm from time to time of spiritual stagnation. And you find yourself there, and you're like, man, I don't know what to do, and I'm reading, and I'm doing a Bible study, or I'm coming to church, and I just, I just feel stagnant, and I want things to be different. I love the quote from Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard is a scholar, a theologian, author. He wrote a book that changed my life about 12, 13 years ago called The Spirit of the Disciplines. And Dallas Willard has this quote, and it is so powerful. It says this, the gap between faith or belief, the gap between faith and abundance in Christ is very, very simple, but it is very, very profound in our life, and that is obedience. The gap between faith and abundance in Christ is obedience. Now, that's not that complicated. You think about it this way. The gap between where my finances were and where I want my finances to be are some changes and obeying maybe what Dave Ramsey says. The the gap between where my health has been and where I want my health to be is not that difficult. It's obeying what my trainer says. But many of us, when we come to Christ, for all manner of reasons, we say, and when we look at this, and we say the gap between faith, believing in Jesus, having faith in Jesus, following Jesus even, and abundance in Christ and don't mistake that word of, for, of abundance for, you know, oh, God's just going to give me whatever I want. He, he's, you know, I'm going to pray this, and God's going to deliver. And no, no, no. It is finding rest. It is finding peace. It is finding your hope. It is finding your worth in Christ. The gap between faith and abundance in Christ is obedience. 
And yet, if you're anything like me, there are so many times in my life, in my rhythms, that gap and the distance and, and the mechanism of getting from faith in Christ to abundance in Christ seems impossible. And this morning, my hope is this, is that as we conclude chapter one, and as we finish up part two of looking at the story of the leper and, and his healing that came from Jesus, my hope this morning is to set many of you free. Some of you, you have been bound in chains to more of a legalistic approach to obedience. That it becomes Jesus plus my obedience equals my security in him. And so you have lived your life in fear, hoping that you are doing the right thing. Am I listening to God? Am I listening to God? Am I listening to God? Am I doing what he wants me to do? And you've lived your life in fear. For others of you, you've done the exact opposite. You say, I have faith in Christ. I'm not as worried about abundance in Christ because I just want to go to heaven when I die. And so this gap that is here is really just filled with my agenda and whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. And both of those will shackle you. And both of those perspectives, neither of those perspectives are the gospel. And so this morning, I want to point us all to something that I believe has the power and the potential to change each of our lives. And it is right here in this story of the leprous man and how Jesus healed him. And so just to set a little bit of context, we're going to go back and start in verse 40 of chapter 1 of Mark. And we're going to read the story of when Jesus engages with this man who had no hope. And as we said last week, we're going to look at how Jesus made hope personal. So Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 40. Then a leper came to him imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, if you are willing. Now, notice Jesus, uh, the leper didn't say, if you are able. He said, if you're willing. If you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion. We talked about that word last week in the Greek. That, that is this idea of move. It only shows up 12 times in the New Testament. And all 12 times are connected to the life and the ministry of Jesus. And that when, when Mark's readers would have heard this word moved in the original languages, it's an idea that conjures up uh, like from within. Like from, from the bowels. I mean, Jesus was moved into the deepest part. I mean, this is like when you would look at someone and you say, man, that kicked me in the gut. It's, it's a similar idea. That Jesus was moved with compassion. He put out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing. Be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken... Immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And he, Jesus, strictly warned him and sent him away at once. What did he warn him with? He said this, and he said to him, verse 44, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way. Show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing these things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely. And to spread the matter, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places. 
And they came to him from every corner. The first thing that we learn from this passage of Jesus healing the man with leprosy as it relates to, to, to obedience in Christ is this. And this is going to set some of you free if you'll embrace it and if you'll believe it. It is this. Is that obedience does not earn you the gospel. Obedience does not earn you the gospel. In this context, in Mark, it's this, is that obedience did not earn the leprous man his healing. Remember we said last week, leprosy was a death sentence. That that the only way for someone to be healed by leprosy, the thinking then was, the only way for someone to be healed by leprosy was by divine intervention. And here comes Jesus. And he makes hope personal. He reaches out and he does something that, that again, in a first century context in mind was so appalling and unreasonable. He reaches out and he touches that which should not be touched. And he says, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. This leprous man didn't earn it. And in our lives, so many times, if we're not careful, we can be tempted to think that we somehow, with our good works and our good deeds, our good behavior, our good attitude, our good attendance to church things and functions, that somehow or another we are in the process of earning the gospel. And I just want to set you free this morning. It is not possible. We sang that earlier. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you gave your life away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. You cannot earn it. And for all of us this morning, that is incredible news. That's what makes the good news good, is that we can't earn it. There's nothing we can do. Peter, in one of his epistles, and and most scholars believe that John Mark wrote the gospel of Mark, but really he was transcribing it, that the gospel of Mark is actually a first-hand account of the apostle Peter. And so Peter, you know, is is telling John Mark this, or, or maybe Peter has relayed the story so often that now John Mark is just writing these down because he knows them by heart. But in 1 Peter, Peter's first epistle, we get this. If you want to go there, you can turn with me. 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins. Could we bring that phrase back in society in 2020? Hey, man, you ready for the Titans game? Yeah, man, I've girded up my loins all afternoon. You know I mean? Like, could we bring that? Anyway, moving on. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober, and don't miss this, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You do not rest your hope fully on your obedience, on your good works, on your good actions, on your good deeds. And for some of you, you're sitting here and you hear that and you just think, what have I been doing all these years? And we're going to get to that in just a minute. And then for others of you, you're going, it's really that simple? And I want to say to you, yes. It is really that simple. He goes on and he writes this. 
Verse 14, as obedient children, there's our word for the day, not conforming yourself to the former lust. This is my past is my past. My future is going to be different. As in your ignorance, verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you must also be holy in your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Obedience does not earn you the gospel. I want to illustrate it this way. I asked Jeff if he would help me with this. Jeff, come on up, man. Jeff um, is uh, a good buddy of mine. Uh, Jeff also happens to be uh, a baller. He's a white guy, but he can ball. He can hoop. And Jeff, I, I want to ask you a question this morning. You, you can shoot, right? Like you got, you got a smooth, smooth mid-jumper. You, 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 you can drain a three from time to time. You're probably pretty decent from the free throw line, right? So so, yeah, better than Shaq. Hey, bar set really low. Um, l- let me ask you this question: You've got a lot of skills. You you got a lot of experience playing ball. But if it was required for you to jump from this stage to that basketball goal and to slam dunk it, could you do that? Not 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 in a harness. <laughs> in a harness. Not, not a chance, right? Not a chance. And Jeff's got a lot of skills. He's got a lot of experience. He's been on the court for a long time. You've probably even got the right shoes, don't you, for the game. But if this is what was required of him, to jump from essentially what would be half court and slam dunk the ball, he couldn't do it. Thank you, Jeff. Y'all give Jeff a a, a round of applause this morning. He couldn't do it. And the reason why he couldn't do it is not because he he didn't want to. It's it's, it's not because he, he hadn't practiced. It's because it was impossible. And that is a picture of our lives apart from Christ and us trying to earn salvation. It is impossible. The gap of what was required was too great. And then Jesus stepped in. And it was as if, and and don't get hung up on the specifics, but but it was as if, you know, somebody like Shaq stepped in in this moment, you know, big seven foot six, 300 and something pounds Shaq, and said, Jeff, I'll pick you up and I'll take you where you could not have gone. And I'll lift you up and help you do what is necessary. Now, again, don't get hung up on the specifics, but, but that, is a, that is a picture of what Christ has done. He has stepped in for us and done what we could not do. What seemed impossible was possible because of Christ. And with that backdrop and with that understanding, it is much easier to look and to say, obedience does not earn me the gospel. Obedience didn't earn the leper his healing. I love what Paul writes in Ephesians 2. He says this, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in flesh, this is your past, this is your former self, who were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at the time you were without Christ, being being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from uh, the covenant of promise, And then this is so important. 
having no hope, and without God in the world. This was, this was our place. This was the spot we were born into. This was the hope that we had. We had no hope. But then verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been made near by the blood of Christ. Obedience does not earn you the gospel. The gospel is the gospel because it is a free gift given by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It is the good news because it does not depend and did not depend on each one of us. But, back to Mark, here's the second thing that we learn from this story. Is that obedience to Jesus is what he asks of us. Obedience to Jesus is what he asks of us. And you go, wait a minute. You just said obedience doesn't earn me the gospel, but now you're saying Jesus asked me to be obedient to him. Yes, it's all about the order in which it unfolds in the text. Check this out. Watch what happens. The leper comes to him. He implores him. He says, if you're willing, make me clean. Jesus heals him. And then Verse 43, and he strictly warned him and sent him away at once. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Here's the power of this story, is that the leper's healing came before Jesus asked him to be obedient. Obedience to Jesus came as a, we're going to talk about this morning in a minute, it came as a response to what Jesus had done for the leper. And this is what he asked of us. He asked of us, hey, you couldn't earn the gospel. You couldn't earn this. You couldn't do enough. You couldn't be good enough. I'm going to give this to you. You're going to live your life. You're going to follow me, and I want, I want you to be obedient. And Jesus gives us a picture of this in Luke 6. Many of us, maybe, we grew up singing this song that, that this comes from. Luke 6, 46 says this, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom, is, whom he is like. And Jesus gives us a picture of what this looks like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat violently against that house. And could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat violently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. And here's what I want to draw your attention to in this passage. Building your life on Jesus, obeying Jesus does not prevent the storm from coming into your life. You see, that's where the prosperity gospel leads so many people astray, is it begins to teach that, that if you follow Jesus and if you give a certain amount of money and if you, if you do these things, that, that God's going to protect you from any bad and any harm and any wrong, and it's a false gospel, and people fall prey to it because it sounds nice, because it, it appeals to our humanity, that we just want to be safe and protected. And Jesus right here says, no, 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 no. 
The gospel is this. You, you respond to the good news, and then you begin to build your life. It, when you respond to the good news and, and you're obedient to my words, you begin to build a foundation, and not if, but when the storm comes. It's going to beat you. It may tear away everything you thought about life. Here on earth, it may feel like it has robbed you of so much. But through it all, your foundation rests in Christ. James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote these words, very familiar words to many of us. James 1, verse 22 says this, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only. And this is the effect of being only a hearer and not a doer. Only hearing what areas of your life you need to be obedient to Christ in and, and not, following that obe- not following that call and being obedient. This is the effect of that. James says this, deceiving yourself. You're just deceiving yourself. I had lunch with a, a friend of mine this week, and I have noticed over the last few months uh, uh, just a difference in his life. There's a joy in his life, and, and there, honestly, there's, a, there's a, kind of this mysterious peace in his life. And, and so we were having lunch, and the conversation came up, and, and we started talking about you know, just what God's doing in his life and some, some different areas of his life of just where God's kind of moving and working. And he began to share a story with me. He began to share the story that back when we began to cast vision back in August for the capital campaign, they were, he and his wife were praying through, you know, what they were going to do, and, and basically their first pass at it was, um, was, was basically going to be something that they were going to make a commitment and it wasn't going to affect their life at all. It wasn't going to cost them anything. They weren't going to feel it in their budget. It, it, it was just, it was going to be easy. They were going to take a step and do this, but, but it wasn't going to be a sacrifice, and he began to explain that they went back and they began to look at their budget, they began to look at where they spend money, and they decided that they wanted to make, I can't remember exactly his words, but the impression that he left me with was this, is that we wanted it to hurt a little bit. We wanted to feel it in our budget, in our finances a little bit. So he said they went back and they looked at the drawing board and they said, okay, what can we do? And they cut two areas out of their monthly budget because they felt led in, to be obedient in this area to Christ in it. They cut two areas out of their monthly budget that matter a lot to them. They mean a lot to them. They're, they're, they're admittedly, they're, they're sort of nice, not necessaries, but it was still two things that mattered a lot to them. And as he began to tell this story, he just said, man, he said, it, it has been amazing to watch Jesus work in our life. And, and what I love about the story is he didn't follow it up with, and, you know, I got a 25% raise this year because I was obedient in those areas. He, he didn't follow it up with, you know, man, and I bought a lottery ticket and won the lottery. And like, you know, he didn't follow it up with any of that. What he followed it up with is I feel closer to Jesus because I was obedient to what he was asking us to do. That is the win. That is the reward. That is the prize. And you hear all of this and you go, okay, I see obedience doesn't earn the gospel and, and obedience is, is what Jesus asked us, he asked this from us, but, but, but we're a society of why. I, I want to know why. Why should I do this? And I want to give you a good reason. I hinted at it earlier. 
Obedience to Jesus is birthed from a recognition of what Jesus has already done in our lives. That's why we're obedient. It's not to earn the gospel. It's not to somehow or another say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to be obedient to you in this area, and what I'm going to expect from you is X, Y, and Z. No, obedience to Jesus is a response to what Jesus Christ has done, to how we've seen Jesus provide to the fact that Jesus stepped in and became, as we're going to read in, in a second, the, the passage that talks about how Jesus became the propitiation for our sins. He became what was necessary for us to bring us back to God. And so we sit back and we say, how could I not be obedient to Christ in this area of my life? Because he has done for me what was impossible. The Apostle John wrote this in his epistle, 1 John 4. And then we're going to look at verse 5. I mean, chapter 5. He says this. In this is love, not that we loved God. We didn't have the ability to love God. Paul said it a while ago. We were strangers. We were aliens. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, that's what he's done, then here's our response. So also, so we also ought to love one another. That's the obedience. This is what God has done. This is what God has done in your life. This is what God has done that could not be done apart from him. And so then our response is, how could we not obey? Chapter 5 says this, 1 John 5 says this, whoever believes that Jesus is Christ, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him, who begot, uh, who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God. This is what God wants for us in our life. That we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Now i got to pause there for just a minute. And this is not in my notes, but I went there in the first hour and I'm going to go there now. I want to speak to a lie that our culture tells us that that verse shines truth on. That his commandments, that being obedient to Christ is not burdensome. There's a lot of talk out in the world right now that we live in a secular culture. And I want to say that we don't live in a secular culture. We live actually in a very sacred culture. Sacredness has just shifted. We, we went through a secular culture where, where maybe everything that was you know, uh, uh, religious or s- viewed as sacred was kind of deconstructed, but now what has been reconstructed in its place, and hang with me for just a minute, is now that everything is sacred. It is your truth. It is your spirituality. It is your way to heaven. It is your path to God. And the lie that is being preached from this deconstructed, reconstructed, sacred culture that is being birthed out there is this. It's on you, and it's up to you, and the things of God are burdensome. 
And the things of God are heavy, and they're not right. And I just want to speak for just a minute from this passage about obedience and following God and trusting Him. Is that the commands of God, being obedient to God, may often look strange to the world, but that does not make them burdensome. Just because as followers of Jesus, we are asked to live, we are commanded to live our life differently that doesn't make sense to the world, does not mean that what Christ is calling us to is burdensome. It means that Christ has called us to something that is against our natural self, it is against our natural part of humanity, and we are being transformed to be more like Jesus. I'll illustrate it this way. I said earlier that I'm not trying to carry my 30s bod into my 40s, and what that means is, is that four times a week I'm going to the gym and I'm sitting and I'm taking something that is foreign to me, and I'm doing a motion that is foreign to me, that does not come natural to me, and I'm putting my body under weight. Now, what comes natural for me is about 9.30 every night, kids go to bed, and I go to the freezer and pull out some gold top, blue bell, chocolate chip, cookie dough, ice cream. That is natural. But because I'm not trying to carry my 30s bod into my 40s, I'm going, and every day I'm sitting under this weight, and it, and it doesn't feel right, and, and, it, and it hurts, and it's sore, but it doesn't make it wrong. It means that this weight and this treadmill, even though it goes against everything that is natural in my life and my body, it is transforming me into what my body needs to become. And it is the same way with obedience to Christ. You'll step out sometimes and you'll be like, man, it doesn't make sense to be this generous. You know how much money we, 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 we could save if we didn't give it to the church? Do you know how much, how much we could do with our free time if we didn't volunteer for the, for the things and, and the activities of Jesus? It doesn't make sense to the world, but that doesn't make it wrong. It means that you are coming and surrendering your life under the care and the concern and the will of Jesus, and your life by doing that is being transformed into who he wants you to become. And it may not be natural, and it may not be easy, but that doesn't make it wrong. So our obedience to Christ is birthed. It's like a volcano. It is birthed from a recognition to what Jesus has already done in our lives. And to go back to the story of the healing of the leper, there's a couple things that I want to highlight. Last week I said that you and I are the, we are the leper in this story. That there was a healing that needed to take place. This is a picture of the gospel. There was a healing that needed to take place. The leper might have tried everything he could do to, to heal himself, and it never worked. It, it always left him hurting and longing maybe for more. But until he met Jesus, then he got the healing that he needed. And last week, the reason why we did this in two parts is because I wanted us to rest in that. Hopefully you thought about that this week. 
But here's where we can often be like the leper in part two, and this is the dangerous part. This is the dangerous part. Verse 45 is the dangerous part. And it starts with one word, but. But. Jesus says, this is what I want you to go do. I've already healed you. You've already got what you needed, what you could not do. I've already done this for you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go do something that you thought you probably would never have to do. I want you to go back to the priest. I want you to go through the whole ceremonial uh, cleansing process that the priest is going to require of you. I want you to do that because the priest is immediately going to know that something crazy has happened in your life. The priest is immediately going to know that, wow, the only way that someone can be healed of leprosy is by divine intervention. What's going on? And then at the end of that process, you're going to get a certificate of heat of cleansing, and you're going to be able to go back into society. I just don't want you to tell anybody about this right now. I want you to go do this. And verse 45 says, but he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places. And they came to him from every corner. And here is the warning in this passage for each one of us. In the midst of incredible good news, here is the warning. It is possible to be incredibly disobedient to Jesus in the midst of having incredible zeal for what Jesus has done. Let me say that again so that you can kind of hear it and that can sink in. It is possible to be incredibly disobedient to Jesus and what he is asking and calling you in your life to do and to become, all while in the midst of not living in the midst of an addiction, not living in the midst of some perpetual sin that you can't seem to find yourself uh, to get out of, all while in the midst of having incredible zeal for Jesus. That's exactly what the leper did. Jesus, I need you to heal me. I can't do this on my own. Nobody else around here can heal me. I need you to heal me. Jesus heals him. Jesus said, this is what I want you to do. And this is for your good. This is what I want you to do. I want you to go do this one thing. Go show yourself to the priest. And verse 45 says, but... And what is essentially being said here is the leper had other things in mind. The leper got what he needed from Jesus, and he had a lot of zeal for Jesus, but he was being disobedient to Jesus. And ever, whenever in our lives we do a but, comma, around what Jesus is calling us to be obedient in, we run a risk of in the midst of having maybe zeal for Jesus, being disobedient to what Jesus wants us to do. And I'll be honest with you, this is where I see myself in this story more than any other place. I can cover up my disobedience to what God is asking me to do by having incredible quiet times in the morning. I, I can cover up what God is asking me to do by hiding that, by talking about Jesus with people over lunch, but not talking to my neighbor about Jesus in the yard. The story of the leper teaches us that we can be incredibly disobedient to Jesus, all while in the midst of having incredible zeal 
for what Jesus has done. And here's what's shocking. Now, the leper didn't thwart the cosmic plan of Jesus. Jesus still went to the cross. He still offered his life up for uh, the, the, the sins of the world and, and did it in obedience to the Father, and, and he rose again on the third day. All of that played out. But in this moment, the leper's disobedience actually impaired the ministry of Jesus. So many people found out about this, that it was a threat to the ministry of Jesus, that, that the pressure was there that people began to think that Jesus' ministry was something that it actually wasn't. So in our lives, we, can, we, we, need, we, we need to process this. We need to pray through this. We need to think through this. We need, we need to humbly confess to God and say, God, I, I don't want my zeal, in the midst of my zeal, for you to be disobedient to what you're calling and asking me to do. So this morning, here's, here's what I want to challenge us with, is that If you can trust Jesus with eternity, can you trust him with the next step of obedience that you need to take? And you may be here and you're like, dude, I'm not there yet. I don't know if I can trust Jesus with eternity or not. Let me ask it this way. If you can trust him with your next breath, Can you trust him in whatever area he is calling you to be obedient into him? Last blank here that you can fill in, just because I know some of our type A people are like, there's one more blank. He's eight minutes over. When is he going to finish and give me this? Obedience to Jesus is actually for our good. It is actually for our good. I love this quote as we close. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says this. It's on the screen and it's in your handout. To have faith in Christ means, of course, trying to do all that he says. There would be no sense in saying you trusted a person if you could not take his advice. Thus, if you have really handed yourself over to him, and maybe that's the question of evaluation in your life this morning. Have I really handed my life over to Jesus? If you've really handed yourself over to him, it must follow that you are trying to obey him. But I love the hope this next sentence brings. But trying in a new way, a less worried way. Not doing these things in order to be saved. We already talked about that, that obedience doesn't earn us the gospel. Because he has begun to save you already. Not hoping to get to heaven as a reward for your actions, but inevitably wanting to act in a certain way because a first faint gleam of heaven is already inside of you. Let's pray together.